Well, welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church thought. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible in this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about His Word with us. Welcome back to Memoirs of Abiding. Last month, we hit on the idea of sin and egregious sins. We talked about the socially accepted sins. And now we're going to jump into some of the idols that may be in the lives of a believer. And this week, we're going to address materialism, the idol of materialism and and stuff and all of that. And to talk about this, I've got Ricky Brooks and Allison joining me on the podcast today. Welcome, y'all. Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is. <laughs> nice. Yes, good morning, and thanks for inviting me again. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I love both of your inputs and your perspectives on these. So for the first question that I have for the group is, why is there such a pull from this materialism? Why is this such a big thing? Because we're sinners? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, whether we're doing horrible sin or the kind of sin that's socially adaptable and socially acceptable by many people. We're always constantly looking for something to fill the hole in our soul and uh, materialism. Materialism is an easy one. You know, it's a, it's a quick fix. Right. And then doesn't our, our world of sinners spend so much money and time on advertisement and drawing attention to this to try to get us to fill our, our hole. Yeah. So many different advertisements trying to bring in that perception that we need different material items in order to bring the happiness that we need for our soul. That's a really good point too. When I've looked into marketing and, and all of that, they have like psychological studies on the colors, on the t- keywords, on music in the background to connect the brain to their product and we're being bombarded or even a a more clear turn is inundated with all of these different marketing schemes in order to, to convince us that we need this do it yourself, blah, blah, blah on the, you know, the the home shopping network, or I guess that's dating myself on Amazon or even on that that one TV show where they have the advertisements, you know, like they, uh, he, the the guy used the ShamWow guy. He used to try to convince you you needed ShamWow, and then they have the tape that works underwater, and you could patch a boat. You know what I'm uh, talking about? Yeah, I yep. do. Know what you're talking about infomercials. It, yeah, like the like the big infomercial station though. Like they spend oh. the entire time convincing you that you need to be excited about this thing and that you need to get it. So that when you get it, you're excited and then eventually you find the big letdown. <laughs> well, I, I totally am. I'm totally with you there. I want to go back to what I, my opening salvo, because we're sinners. 
and ask our listeners to not not uh, not click off of uh, the the podcast with that statement because if you go back to our our previous four episodes where we delve deeply into the idea of sin and a quick reminder is sin is not just horrible evil things we do a in the word of god the bible the definition of sin a, a complete explanation of sin includes really everything outside of one's relationship and dependence upon god materialism then really is such an easy contaminant because it's accessible really and no matter how much money we have whether we're mega rich or mega poor there's something something that will serve the cause of materialism we can barter we can trade we can steal we can you know we can purchase there's any number of ways to fulfill a materialistic need and when we consider it a need because what we really need is something that gives us meaning and the habits of our lives become the temporary solutions that fill the hole in our soul so materialism's a quick ism it's there's something always out there for us to want or grab on to psychologically spiritually sociologically it's just an easy access everybody in the world whether they're rich or poor has access to some type of materialism you know the rich guy he's got jets and the poor guy he clings to every small scrap he can grab grab a hold of now on the on the poverty side there is the there is the issue of serving true needs right that would not be materialism i don't want to suggest that anytime we need something we're involved in materialism that's not the point at all it's just that when there's a bauble whether it's an expensive bauble or an inexpensive bauble when it's something we do to fill time to produce meaning to give us some sense of security or status or significance uh in our life then it becomes materialism and it's a, an easy one so yeah and i think you nailed the the theme of the month idols always are drawn from a need for meaning and purpose or identity yes. right all of those encompass every single one of these idols that we're going to talk about and the many thousands of them that we don't talk about which brings kind of to the next question is what is it about the material things that bring us that temporary happiness or masks the sadness in our life or as you said it gives us something to fill the hole in our soul so what is it about things jets or this pocket watch or this house what is it about those that allow our mind to believe that we found this temporary happiness do you want well, the physical oh go ahead <laughs> sorry so do you want the physical breakdown or the emotional or both i mean either way cuz that's what i took some psychology courses last spring 
on the physical side, as far as the temporary happiness, the act of actually obtaining the material things give you an actual dopamine release. So it kind of gives that euphoric as if you were going on a roller coaster ride or something like that. So it, it can trick your, your body provides that feeling of happiness when you obtain it. And then it's temporary and it goes away. So you need more. So that's, that kind of was an eye opener for me even last spring reading into that with biopsychology. Wow. And then I think well, the, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say in the word of God, uh, we're, we're taught. Some people will, will say that, you know, money's the root of all evil, but that's not the case. The, the Bible teaches us that the love of money is the root of all evil. And of course, when it says love of money, it means, you know, materialism. And when it uses, and, and it, the love for that money, materialism, is not an appropriate love. So words like love and pride and lust and desire uh, have two sides of the coin occupied. I can love something appropriately. I can love something inappropriately. I can desire something appropriately. I can desire something inappropriately. When, when my love is, is bent, then I become codependent on things. I'm, I'm not loving something for the sake of its betterment. I'm loving it to fill some inordinate, out-of-sync need in my own life. So it, it's a part of the human condition, both at the physical and the spiritual level. And in between that is emotional and motivational. That's why the, this whole podcast is all about abiding. Yeah, so on the emotional side, Allison, you talked about the physical side and you were going to go into emotional. What, what about it? Now that Ricky's kind of drawn that that distinction there, what about the emotional side? Well, I like how Ricky said it. It's that desire, but we talked about finding meaning and security. And um, the emotional side, I really see it providing identity and security and source for us. So if we obtain the material items that the world deems is good, and then the world sees that we have them, we are justified that we are have reached that status level, that we are accepted into society because we have the material things society deems is what we should have. Like buying a home at a young age, that's a really big one that society says you should be doing at a certain point in time in your life um, or having a job and things like that. But I often see that the emotional side takes hold and root because it does provide us with some sort of identity with other people in the world instead of finding that identity in God. Yeah, the status, right? Right. So my kids and I were reading 
in Luke the other day, and we came up with with an excellent example of this. This was in Luke 18, starting in verse 18. This was the story of the rich young ruler that if we've been in church for years, we've probably heard a few times. So I'll read through this pretty quickly, but if you have time to dive into it on your own. But he says, certain ruler asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. These I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who asked or heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said, we had left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age as in the age to come. So we had the rich young ruler who wanted to enter heaven and had lived from all intents and purposes a moral life. Yet Jesus knew immediately his idol was materialism. And the sadness displayed by the man that truly surrendering and following Jesus meant up, giving up his idol. We can see that. And I'm sure his idol brought him that security, that, that pride in the work of his hands, influence, identity, purpose, meaning. But Jesus addresses the trade-off with this. He says, give up the idol of materialism and receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And that's that's a pretty good example biblically of this materialism and, and how difficult it is of an idol for, for people to want to give up. It's it's definitely has a very strong pull, so much so that Jesus even addressed it with this individual. Yeah, there's no doubt that it is at the heart of the story of Adam and Eve, like we've we so often refer back to is it is an, a means of filling the emptiness inside accessible to every human being and it's probably why it in every culture materialism of one form or another but i think some people will confuse materialism with rich versus poor and that's not the issue with materialism materialism is is I want that thing, and I want it on my on on my terms and not the Lord's terms. I'm going to fulfill the goal of my drive is to have meaning and purpose, as you pointed out, significance and security and status, and that whatever I can get my hands on. Because apart from salvation and abiding in Jesus, all we have is our human body to fulfill the desires, even the needs of our human body. And if we don't do that through the Lord, we'll do it through 
any means possible because it's it's basic to survival. The only thing left is to go, I don't know, you know, go curl up in a fetal position and literally fail to thrive until the human body passes away, you know, like a long hunger and water strike. And materialism is just so so easy to latch on to. I I don't find any mystery in it whatsoever. It, it is it is the sin that keeps on giving and giving and giving. And I, and again, I hope people will go back and listen to the podcast so that they understand when we use the word sin, we are using it in the full measure of its meaning, not the evil, horrible thing that we do to somebody. Yeah. yeah and as you're saying that, Ricky brought up Adam and Eve. I just visualized being in the garden. They did exactly that. I want that yeah. thing. They wanted that fruit from the tree of knowledge. They wanted it. Yeah. And isn't that, that one of the first idols we see in the human condition? When a child sees, I want, I want. It's like it's one of the first, you know, selfish phrases that a child learns, I want. And they continue it through their their days. And so we end up learning this thing all through our life. And if, you know, you can find purpose and meaning that is eternal in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or you can find purpose and meaning in temporary things, and they will, by their nature, fail us every time. And so then we need another fix, an, another dose, and, and reaching for material objects, materialism, is just such, such a simple solution, but we always come back looking for more. You know, there's, it's this entire issue of, am I worth anything? Am, is there any value in me? Uh, do I belong to somebody that will always be there for me? Do I, do I have a sense of ability and competence to leave a legacy, to, to matter to people? Those kind of questions are at the core of, of why we do these things. Because worthiness is what we want, but we're confused about worthiness and substitute appearance. And somebody who has stuff, who gets stuff, has the capability of obtaining stuff, appears to fit in, has an appearance of, of, of socially adaptable and accessible. And of course, everybody else is doing it, so we follow that lead. And our greatest need is not to look good. Our greatest need is to literally be good, to be satisfied. Not to appear satisfied, but to be satisfied. And of course, that's what abiding in Christ is all about. Jesus is saying, you know, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And, and fill yourself with, with my Father and I and Holy Spirit. All these other things will take care of themselves. Actually, yeah, he literally said that. Why are you worrying about all these things? Uh, are today's needs sufficient unto themselves? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
Yeah. That's good. So thinking about this idol, anytime we want to give up a habit, there's a fear of the unknown. There's a fear of missing out. There's some sort of fear that comes with giving up what we're comfortable with, what we know, and stepping into something different. When we go through our discipleship groups, one of the main points we talk about as we guide people along, and it's later on in it, but we, we talk about this idea that you know even a drug addict doesn't want to be a drug addict, but the difficulty of a rehab or of, of a mentor, someone walking them through that and trying to get them to see the benefits of sobriety is that they've known this addiction. It doesn't have to be drugs. It could be any addiction, but they've known that addiction so long. They know the feeling that they get when those hurt come up in their life or when those triggers come up in their life and they use whatever that addiction is, when they go into that, they know the feeling, they know the comfort level it brings. What they don't know is what it's like outside of that. So that's why we see such a difficulty with that. So let's bring that in with our idols. With the idol of materialism, what are some of the fears that maybe you two have seen or heard from people when you've been able to talk to them about materialism and, and the idol of it that they express to you on, you know, maybe I, I can't do that. Like what would be one that you hear the most of? The, the one I hear the most is uh, a question. And they might not say it in these particular words, but it's the question that is streaming from their soul. How do I look compared to other people? Mm. How, what do I look like compared to my classmates, my coworkers? What is what is my appearance? And it it and that particular question raises other questions like, am I valuable? Am I favorable? Um, do people look at me? I, I talked to one young man one time, and he he described his childhood as a consistent and constant search for finding ways for his mother and father to look at him. Do you see me? My, uh, you know, do you see me? And, and that was in direct comparison to his siblings. So turned out that they were, <laughs> they, they weren't really doing anything different, but his internal complexities mixed with his own family, social mores and, and, and forms and functions produced this, this overwhelming desire to be seen so he acted out a lot wow to be seen you know so I, this this question of how do i appear compared to other people is is quickly and temporarily fixed when when by the use of materialism to overwrite the fear 
of kind of just being drowned out. I, you know, do I, and you, I think you see it in high school drama. <laughs> you see it in shopaholism. Uh, you see it in, uh, what do they call that? Uh, uh, body dysmorphia, right? You know, where, where, you know, and you see it either in the reception, you know, I don't feel good about my appearance. And we, you see it also in the attack, you know, you don't fit, you know, and so a person feels like they just don't look good, whether it's, whether it's their actual appearance, their weight or their height or their skin color or whatever it might happen to be to the clothing that they wear, do they fit into this circle? That's, that's the, that fear is the, the, the driver that I see the most often. And that fear produces certain desires, which is to not experience that fear, to somehow feel comfortable. That's kind of the, the fear of status, the status change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, or, or even, yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, just really answering that one question, you know, when I compare myself to others, I don't look good. I don't feel good. I don't think I'm fitting in a popular, I'm not popular enough, I'm, you know, and if you think about like, you think about, you know, the whole social media thing going on today, it is driven by materialism. I need a better camera. I need more makeup. <laughs> I need yeah. a better background. Uh, I got to practice my fish lips. You know, I got to do that well. Is that what they call that fish lip thing? That, have you, you know, have you been practicing your fish lips, Ricky? Is well, it- you can't tell because I have, you know, a mustache and a beard. So, okay. So it looks more <laughs> like the blob fish, fish lip. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it, that's all about appearance. It's all about comparing ourselves to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Allison, how about for you? What's the one that you see the most? I think that Ricky hit it spot on in terms of the the status, but I would tie that into significance, especially with the the younger generation, because I work with people that are of an age where they're starting to separate their identity out from their parents and figure out what that is. And often that results in going to the next person next to them, which is their peers. And so if they obtain these specific things, they're going to get praise and adoration from their peers, which means they're loved. Mm. And so it drives them to continue to be loved and that's their source of love. So they're trying to separate out from parents and get it from the world around them. But, you know, Ricky, you mentioned um, even body dysmorphia. I get that. I had that and um, know what it's like working with that. And in all honesty, the actions of trying to control that or obtain these material items, it, it's just that it gave me a sense of control and it was a false sense of control. So I, I felt secure. I felt in control because I've got this thing. But in reality, yeah. Real real quick, because I think that term is foreign to a lot of people, including myself. Mm -hmm. Body dysmorphia. What just if you can explain a little bit, what does that mean? So that those uninitiated like me can know what that is. 
Okay. So um, that is often looking at yourself and not seeing the accurate picture of yourself. So I was an athlete and um, I'll be honest, I thought I was probably 10 pounds heavier when I looked at the mirror than I actually was. Um, and so it's not having the accurate perception of yourself. Literally chatted with young ladies who, you know, you know, they look like supermodels mm -hmm. and they see themselves as, as fat. Correct. Okay. I see what you mean. It's okay. really, you know, that, yeah. that's, I think that's a real common form of it. There are other forms of it. Men do it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, so I'm not even saying, I'm not sure if I even use the word, I don't know if we created a word or I know there's a word like that. This there is dysphoria, dysmorphia, something like that. So I'm definitely not an expert on, on that particular thing. Yeah. Morphia sounds right because it is. You are, yeah, you're morphing what your body actually looks like, and it took years for that to be accurately perceived personally. Well, but yes, that is the term body dysmorphic disorder or body dysmorphia. So, yeah, you're dead on. Okay, cool. So, Allison, keep, keep going there. I got to try to remember you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. So hmm. we're going to be looking for a materialistic fix in a second. We are. Because <laughs> it's not, we're not appearing so great right now. But you talked about <laughs> as an athlete being 10 pounds or looking oh, 10 pounds okay. heavier. And you better be careful, Chris. She said she, she, she did not say she was 10 pounds heavier. So I, <laughs> I had to fix that. I had to, you perceive, you perceive that you were. Oh. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. So as an athlete, um, I definitely had the, uh, bias to dysmorphia where I was in excellent shape, but I thought I was like 10 pounds heavier. And so I would do things to try to control what my body should look like and feel like, like I, it was a point where I like, I was weighing myself before and after a practice and all of the time. Um, and literally would look at pictures and see myself heavier than I actually was. And this lasted for years after retiring from being an athlete. Um, I still remember after having my son and going back and looking at pictures from my young twenties, I was astounded because God has healed me from a lot of this and brought back the right perception. But I remember going back and where I thought I was overweight essentially, I was super skinny. Um, but I remember being in that point where I just felt like I had so much control. And it all started because I really wanted the acceptance of my coaches to be the best athlete and get approval from them. And I wasn't able to obtain that. And so then I started to control my body to be the perfect athlete. And it just kind of spun out of control there. But what I'm trying to get at is a lot of times, even with materialism, there's a fear of not knowing where your security is going to come from, because in all honesty, I felt like I was in control. I felt a sense of security where I was at. Um, 
But reality is once I started to dive into that and try to let go of it, um, I actually had some people come talk to me about it. I realized I had no control at all. I had no security at all. And this was destroying me. And it was a process after that several years. And honestly, it took talking to God and asking for help from him, for him to heal me. Um, but I just want to touch on that. Like it, it really does give you this sense of security. And so it can be very, very hard to let go of. It can also give you a certain sense of like significance and meaning because you're getting approval from other people. And we all desire that we all desire love. Um, but if we're trying to get it from things of this world, things of this world are constantly changing. Just like we talked about, they're spending millions if not billions. I don't know the number on advertisement. We're seeing it every day and they're saying, this is what you need to be loved and perfect and good. And we get it and we're loved. And then they do research and they're like, nope, never mind. This is what you need. So it's constantly changing and you're, you're on this roller coaster of security and significance. Yeah. And you hit on the one that really drove in my own life was security. I spent the better part of my life as a, as a teenager working and working and working so that I could be independent from my parents so that no one could tell me what I could do with my life. They couldn't tell me that I couldn't watch TV because I bought the TV. They couldn't tell me I couldn't be on the internet because I paid for my own internet and my own computer. I, they couldn't tell me that I couldn't have in and out two times a day because I had my own money and I went to in and out Burger two times a day. So that just carried on into the Navy when for 11 years, I drove to be the best of the best of the best, sir, with honors. I did that so that I could make rank as quick as possible so that I could get the pay increases as quick as possible so that when I got out, I could do a job that paid 100,000, 200,000. And even, even the expectations within my marriage was, okay, well, we need to make 100,000 a year. So let's get these other businesses on the side or let's do this, let's do that. And it was, it was all about making sure that we never went hungry or we never went without what we wanted, which went into getting the newest car every two years, getting the newest phone every year, getting the newest TVs and technology and all of these things. But it was it was about the security of what what if we don't have enough money next year to buy another car? Well, we better get one right now, just in case. And it was it's so foolish when you can look at it later on. But that idea of the security was actually it was interesting. And, and this is kind of where I want to direct our next one is abiding through this. How do we get to that point? And just transitioning over for me, after I went through the dissolution of my marriage through a divorce, I was in a really stuck place. I didn't have much food at all. And there were many times when I had no money for food or anything. And the Lord really used that season to change my heart because at the beginning, my heart was very bitter. And it was all about, well, comparison, like what you were talking about, Ricky, at the beginning. My comparison was to now my kid's mom. And the comparison, well, she gets all this, Lord, and I only get this. That's not fair. You know, the kid, 
the kid phrase, that's not fair. But what that did in my life, it developed a dependence on the Lord so that I could later on look and I could say, you know what? I need a vehicle. I think I can get like a four or $5,000 car that'll last me the next 10 years and I'll be, I'll be happy with it. And so I could do that. I could get the house that wasn't the best, but it was just enough for my kids and I, and the Lord started providing in those ways. I remember even in the, the difficulties, the fear of not knowing where my, my food would come from. One of the churches around had a food closet, food pantry, and they offered for me to come do that. And I, I, without naming the church, I had a church across the nation donate a significant amount that stopped me from being evicted from my house. That money didn't come from me. That money didn't come from my abilities and my skills, my resources. That came from the Lord fulfilling the way out of this, which is depending on him, surrendering that to him, surrendering the fear, which is why we wanted to talk about the fears, because we want to get to the root in our own lives. If we struggle with this or if we know someone that struggles with this, let's try to let's try to work out. If it's in your own life, through your own devotion time with the Lord, try to discover with him where the fear is that's driving all of this. Because if you can, then what you can do is surrender that. We've talked about this in previous podcasts, podcasts, <laughs> podcasts. You can surrender that to the Lord and then we can start walking in. Well, how do we abide through this? Well, I, our answer is always the same, of course, that begins with truth. You have to know the truth. The Lord Jesus said, if you know the truth, you can be set free. And God is, is truth. So finding our solutions in the permanent, not the temporary, is the first part of this equation. So if, if we're looking at these issues like security and status and significance, and, and people are trying to answer questions like, how do I look compared to the rest of the world? Am I valuable? Am I favorable? How respected am I compared to other people? You know, it's kind of like, am I very important? Well, it, it will always be a temporary solution if we, if we are driven to fulfill the fulfillment of those questions in our lives through temporary things. But in, so instead of asking the question, how do I look compared to others? I could ask the question, how do I look to God? If instead of the question, how respected am I by others? I can ask the question, how valuable am I to God? Instead of ask, answering the question, how do I do compared to others? I can ask the question, how does God think that I am? Or what does God feel? about my capabilities. And if we start there, that's where we always end up. Starting and ending is with is with the, the Lord in terms of fulfilling what are true needs in our life. We do have a need for security. We do have a need for status. We do have a need for significance. We do have a need for, for feeling valuable, for being worthy of 
of belonging to somebody, to being important. We do have those needs. It's where we're going to find the permanent fix for those that matter. So, you know, John 3, 16, this is why God sent his son into the world. For God so loves the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. Well, that everlasting life, Jesus says, you know, in John 10, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. So the abundant permanent life that we're talking about is the abiding relationship that comes to us initially through salvation, but then moment by moment as we continue to build and receive from God this, this wonderful this wonderful relationship. And that's all about communicating with God. Because notice something that's intrinsic on both sides of the aisle. How do I look compared to others? How do I look to God? When I delve into materialism, I get a temporary emotional thrill. Oh, I look a little better. I don't know. The, the guy gets a new, a new power tool and he can show it to his buddy or he can make a project and throw it up on YouTube. And, you know, he got a, he got, he, he fulfilled that need for 10 minutes or, you know, whatever that might be for, you know, anybody else's, but it's always, it's always temporary, but it's always emotionally satisfying. And because it's emotionally satisfying, it gives us that false sense of security, a false sense of status, and false sense of significance. So we have to also experience God on the emotional level. And that's what abiding is all about. That's what Jesus is all about. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, I think verse 11, he says, in the, And in the fulfillment of all these things, these things he's talking about, abiding in him, abiding in his word, abiding in his love, just as he abides in the Father's word, the Father's love, the Father's work. He, he says to the disciples, to his followers, in, in all of this, your joy, and in fact, he says, my joy will be made complete in you. The emotional permanence of an abiding relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that comes in the communication process, our praying to him and our pouring his word into our lives so that he can speak it back to us in real time, is the desire, the emotion that will overwrite all those crazy desires that keep us in constant flux, in constant pursuit of things like materialism. So, uh, dear listener, uh, listen to every podcast. Because <laughs> unfortunately, you know, you know, I, I just as a whole load right there, right? You know, it's a whole load. Or join one of our abide groups. You know, you know that we're doing more and more online. Or uh, read a good book like David Needham's Birthright. Um, uh, or or John Piper's Alive for the First Time. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I did not pay Ricky to say that. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw that one out there. <laughs> Allison, how about you and in, in your life? I and mean, that was that was an amazing summary of of abiding through 
in your own way, in your own words, and, and maybe you utilized much of what Ricky went through there, but you, you talked about it a little bit with body dysmorphia disorder, you know, the BDD, um, as I look more into it, what were some of the ways now in this new season of life where you've, you've been abiding, how do you deal with things and abide through those in the materialistic sphere? It's a lot of communication with God. And I will say when I first started out, I mean, I grew up in the church knowing God, but it was more of a workspace faith um, that I developed. So I never really thought to ask for healing from God. I never really even thought that I should communicate everything that I feel. (laughs) So I wasn't truly honest with them. So I would say starting the abiding journey and getting raw and very honest with God about every little thing that I'm feeling and what I've been holding inside myself was one of the best steps that I could have taken because I was being very opening up my heart to him. Just kind of like if you were about to go for a new relationship, you slowly, like you start to express things that are important to you, your values and stuff like that. And I was doing that with God. Finally, it wasn't just the duty of prayer or praying for hardships. It was a real relationship where I could talk about good things and hard things, happiness, sadness. But then I I began to ask God to reveal to me where this comes from and why do I have this and what am I looking for? So I began to ask those questions and, and say like, what, what am I getting out of, you know, controlling my image and my body? What am I getting out of food and trying to control my food and my intake? What am I getting out of going for a workout or really getting into workouts? Is it an act of worship and just joy time with you? Or is it me trying to control how my body looks so that I can get purpose from others? And he began, God's faithful. When you ask him a question, he'll reveal it to you. And a lot of the times the uh, revelation came through his word. So, or like Ricky said, pouring into God's word. And I struggled before abiding to just sit in his word and often read the same scripture over and over and over and over. And um, I, I had that, well, I've already read it. I know it. I definitely did not know it. So um, I began to get this comfort in sitting in God's word and staying there and discussing it with him and asking him to show me what I need in this time. And I will say that's the greatest joy because the longer it's been, what, almost year, a little over a year and a half in my abiding journey. And it's such sweet joy and it's actual healing as I walk through everything with him, because I will have a conversation with God um, discussing maybe some of the idols that I have or the fears or things that might pop up and we can be in real time conversation. And then I'll go read the next part of the scripture and he'll answer me right away. And I have just this immense, he talked about the joy, Ricky. I have such immense joy with that or be walking around and talking with him and then scripture will pop up in my mind mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. me all the time and I feel so loved 
in that moment and have such joy. And it's a fullness that I can carry with me. So it's not this temporary, like 10 minute thing. It's like, I know I'm loved. I know I'm seen. I know, I know God's my source for everything now. I know my flesh has these tendencies that I've built up, but I know the answer is him. And I know the answer is to go to his word and just read in his word, not to seek out advice from other people or to seek out things of this world in terms of fulfilling that goal, but it's definitely, definitely from him. And so, especially with the food, like, I mean, crazy workouts, I would not eat what I was burning. And then I, to be honest with y'all, I go the opposite route where I wouldn't work out. And then I'd like consume a lot of food. And I, I know all this stuff. I mean, I've got my degrees are in exercise science. I know nutrition. Um, and I tried some, I can't think it was some app that helps change the psychology and perception of food. And it worked great for a couple of months. And then it all came sliding back in. So everything I tried with the, the body image, it never sustained. No. It, it took me stepping into God, handing that over to him. And one of the first things he worked on with me and abiding was worth and love. Mm. It was probably like a six month journey in that. And there were a lot of times where I was journaling to God and talking to him about how I was lonely and I didn't feel loved and I didn't feel the worth and didn't feel all these things. And I was struggling and he took me to Hosea and he took me on this big journey that was just continually telling me, I love you. I love you. I love you. You're worthy. I love you. And it was all in his word. And all in our conversations, I'd have a conversation and he brings scripture to heart that just says, I love you. Mm -hmm. And so he transformed that security and that image for me to where I don't need to look a certain way to get approval from others because my God loves me. And I'm mm -hmm. very content in that. Like I, even to this day, we'll go and I just saw some other friends and family, I kid you not. One of the first questions I always get is who are you dating? Yeah. <laughs> um, God, that's who I'm dating. Cause I feel so loved by him. I have no desire to go out and date. I'm very content in that relationship. So it is very, you all can have that relationship with them and it's the best relationship you'll ever have. Amen. Can I piggyback on that? Just a, a moment. You said so well, source of your joy. And then you gave particulars about that. You were talking about how you're going through your day, going through issues, and the word of God would come to you. And you knew that that was God. And that's that portion of, the, of abiding in Christ that, that we emphasize so much is that we're not talking about God speaking to us audibly or you know, we see a formation in the clouds or something like that. We're not talking about anything like that. We're literally talking about what the Bible teaches us, which is like Psalm 119, to lay up God's word in our heart, in our soul, in our mind, to 
to pour it into us, to meditate on it. And, and this truth has given us all 66 books of the Bible is the written word of God. As we take it in, it overwrites the tendencies of our past. And in real time, God brings the word of God to our memory and our immediate attention. Somebody might ask the question, well, isn't that just, you know, you know your Bible real well. Well, yes, it is about knowing the Bible real well, but when I'm walking in the dangerous, temptation-oriented workings of my natural tendencies, the last thing I listen to, the last thing that happens is the Word of God. I'm not interested in the Word of God. I'm interested in moping around uh indulging in materialism, indulging in fantasy. But when the Holy Spirit breaks in and illuminates me with the word of God, I know it's him doing that. And that, as you said, gives you joy in that moment. And the more we do that, the more we participate in that, the more inclined we become that way. That's the very thing that we've been taught to let the word of God transform us, to think like Jesus. Even in this podcast, it's happened several times. I didn't plan to talk about Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, you know, stop worrying about all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and they'll all be added to you. I didn't plan to think about John 3.16. I didn't plan to think about Ecclesiastes. In that moment of time when the Holy Spirit of God reminds, reminded me of those passages, I knew the presence of God, and I felt and experienced the joy of God. That is the fulfillment of what Jesus said, and my joy will be made complete in you. That's the emotional connection, the motivational real-time dynamic relationship of abiding in Christ that overwrites those, those temporary desires or the fulfillment of, of desires that we get through materialism and all of those other kind of things. It is not a pie-in-the-sky theology. It's really, really real. And Allison, you described it so, so well. I, I just, uh, I, I, I pray all the time, you know, please, Lord, let people experience your, your joy. Help them to take seriously the call to abiding. Yeah, so if I can just summarize the great things that you guys were talking about. Ricky, asking the questions, where the fears, but more so beyond that is asking where do or shifting the questions rather from you know where am i going to find my significance to what does god say about my significance about my identity about all of that allison you shared when you did that you got it from scripture you spent time in it you didn't just read once or twice and call it good you read for transformation so when we mm -hmm. ask those questions and when we read god's word we want God's word to answer those questions and not only answer it, but change us.
from the inside out so that those issues don't come up. And, and I think that's, that's outstanding. And then going back to what Ricky reemphasized there was now when that, when I do that, we call that hiding God's word in our heart. We see that in Psalm 119 and throughout scripture. When we do that, all of a sudden, now when that comes up again, God through his spirit can reignite that little flame in our head that whatever it was before that burned away the chaff that was all up in there, we can use that. We call that illumination, but that is God speaking to us through his word. And then what I encourage you to do, and I encourage this to all of our groups, is that when he does something like that in your life, and Allison, you said it great, you journal a lot, journal it. I mean, the, you look back to Deuteronomy and God was very specific when he was telling the Israelites, write these things down, teach them to your children, talk to your children about what I did in Egypt, what I did in the land that I brought you into and driving out the, you know, the Amalekites and the parasites mm-hmm. and all the other ites. <laughs> remember all of the things that I did. Remember when I brought you back from Babylon. Remember my promise that I had to you. When we do that, when we write those things in a year, when we're feeling mopey and down in the, the, the dumps again, we can look back and say, oh, that's right. This was God's answer to this exact thing that I'm struggling with. And through that, we really see our abiding journey mapped out like, like all of what God's done. And then we experience it because it's, it's a real-time thing. So I encourage all of you to take what Ricky and Allison were saying and to put it into your own life. How do you do that? You start with asking the questions and then shifting the questions to, yeah, but what is God? Yeah, but how does God? Why does God? When does God? We start shifting the questions to him as the focus and not the things in this world. And then you read God's word and the promises that he says so that you know what the answer is, because he's already answered every one of those questions. Maybe not the when, but he certainly answered all the questions of the why, what, how, and where. And so then, now I hide that in, and I can I can find the true transformation that that we see um, Jesus speaking out, knowing the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Yeah, set you free from the idol of materialism. How? Because you know the truth. It's not about what the world sees. It's about what God sees in you and what God has done in you and why God did that in you and where God has done that and all of that. So uh, materialism, the idol of it. I think we've, we've talked a good bit about it. You guys had some great things to say about it. And I love that. Let's pray out. And then next week we're going to revisit idols. And next week we're actually going to talk um, about one that was pretty big in my own life. And that was uh, entertainment. So I, um, I look forward to, uh, to talking about that next week, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that your truth sets us free from materialism, sets us free from any of the idols that may try to possess our lives and to take over significance, Lord. We thank you that you are a God that we can depend on, that, that is significant, that you're not just one of the, the old little G gods from back in the Roman and Greek eras of the Hellenistic style where you're just selfish and self-centered and just like a human, but with e- eternal life or immortal life. But no, instead, Lord, you are a God 
who is eternal outside of time and outside of space. God, you are a God that not only is like that, Lord, but that you work in our lives in this temporal field each and every day, that you transform us, that you bring your word to remembrance in the times of trouble, in the times of despair, in the times of temptation. God, I pray that each time this week that our listeners deal with the temptation to fall back into one of these idols, Lord, that you will bring through your spirit a remembrance of what you said of them, who they are, their significance, their their identity, their purpose, that you will bring about that complete change of thought from all of the things of this world to having thoughts centered on things above. And uh, God, we, we look forward to hearing from those that you are continuing to work in their lives, Lord. And we we feel this great encouragement when we do, Lord. So I, I pray that you will continue to work in our lives as well and, and help us to share this message with more and more people and grow this territory greater. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk. Thank you for listening, and God bless.